1: I know from my own perspective, again, as somebody who is not a, a professional student or, or teacher of, of this period, it gave me a much more personal um, understanding of what it was like to be involved in, in the revolution.
0: That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Jane L. Green talking about the life of a real Yankee doodle, Thomas Ditson, and she's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution, by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today, our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Jane L. Green, and she'll be talking about the life of Thomas Ditson, uh, a country bumpkin, as she says, that became a patriot legend. Ditson is intimately tied with the creation, or at least I think the uh, rise to fame of the song Yankee Doodle. And it's kind of interesting where it comes from. You wouldn't expect a person like him uh, to have such a profound impact, I guess, on the, on the cultural memory of the American Revolution. But he certainly does. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Jane L. Green. Jane Green, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Brady. It's great to be here.
0: Tell us about your background.
1: Well, I'm, um, I was born in Michigan, but I was raised in Indiana, and that's where I call home, Terre Haute, Indiana. And I was always interested in um, political science in particular. My dad was a professor at Indiana State University and chairman of the um, political science department there. Um, Got my education, a bachelor's degree at Indiana University, and then went to Georgetown to the School of Foreign Service. I was particularly interested in international affairs and also in how our government works. So my first real job was with senator deconcini of arizona where i was a um his assistant for foreign policy and defense issues uh but my real interest was joining the cia um which i did and uh, most people think of cia as a, a you know the spy agency but a big chunk of it does analytic work that's um it's it's sort of scholarly in some ways, but it um the main difference is that it's designed to support um, foreign uh, support policy policymakers um, in making decisions about what our country should do on various aspects and um i, I guess the, one of the most important um subjects that I worked on was the, um, the war in the Balkans in the 1990s, um, when Yugoslavia broke up and Yugoslavia. And, um, then I moved, moved into management and I managed a large group of people during the Iraq war. And, um, that that was the best of times and the worst of times in terms of of being in the CIA for reasons that have been um, fairly well explored uh, in the press and um, elsewhere. Uh, I went to um, Iraq for six months as the um, <clears throat> the intelligence community advisor to Ambassador Bremer, who was the um, head of the coalition um, provisional authority. Uh, which was trying to run Iraq back then, and then I came back and worked on counterterrorism issues for a while, and um, retired in 2017.
0: What first drew your interest into this topic?
1: Well, I I've been doing genealogical research for decades. <laughs> And I um, joined the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution um, thanks to one of my um, great-great-great-great-grandfathers. Um, and that sort of triggered my interest in looking at, to see who else was um, involved in the revolution and, and my ancestry. And I came upon Thomas Ditson and um due to Duda an error on my part. I originally thought he was my great 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 grandfather, but in fact he's not. He's my great 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 granduncle. And um, but I was I was kind of hooked on his story, even though the the relationship wasn't as as close. Um, how he got tied in with the the whole Yankee Doodle song is is kind of an easy way for. Uh, someone who's not a professional historian to, to jump into the story. And, um, but because I had the genealogical research background, I started digging into his war effort. And, um, I saw that this was not just a guy who, um, you know, became a subject of a song and then he dropped off the face of the earth. He, he put in five years of hard duty Um, protecting our country and trying to build a new country. And I thought that story was worth telling more fully and to a a broader um, audience than um, was otherwise um, exposed to it. Could you
0: talk about Ditson's early life and some of his family history you delve into in your article?
1: Yeah, um, he was, uh, as as the title of the article uh, is... um, Puritan to bumpkin to patriot. Um, that was his story. He he started off uh, as the um, grandson of a man who had uh, bought a great deal of land. whose uh, his Dixon's background was was Puritan, um, you know, English, um, and it he had a what would seem to be a very um, wholesome, stable family life of large families, as, as was the case back then, um, farmers in a in a town that um, had been um, you know was on the frontier in um, in in uh, Massachusetts, um, and it, it struck me that there was an everyman quality to his his life um that was um attractive to me as well as somebody from you know the Hoosier heartland um I identified with with that kind of non um unspectacular um upbringing you know no, nothing great nothing bad just you know good old wholesome american life and um until the war came along and um i looked a a lot because i wanted to make sure that i was capturing him correctly to make sure that that there wasn't some Ditson who was actually um you know in a position of of influence that um that was greater than than it appeared you know if he was best friends with um you know, Ben Franklin or something like that. But, but I didn't find anything like that. I, I um, just found that they were not at all mentioned other than uh, their land ownership. Um, so, and he had, uh, Thomas Ditson had his own family, um, um, good pile, good bunch of children, I think five by the time um, he went to to go um, by his infamous firelock, um, so he was—he was just a man that was anticipating, um, you know, the the war, maybe, but not exactly obsessed about it. I don't think. Um, looking out for his family, knowing that his his farm was, um, you know, uh, if, if the British wanted to. To uh, head head to Concord and, and Lexington, that um, his farm was right on the path, um, and and then uh, the the Massachusetts decided to create the Minutemen, and that was sort of lit a match under him, I think, <laughs> to to get his weapons in order, and and that triggered his his fateful trip to Boston.
0: Could you discuss Ditson's decision to travel to Boston to buy a, a firelock? That plays a big part of this.
1: Um, well, I, I'm a. i am um, I was interested in that as well. Uh, the, what you know, what was a firelock, and why was it so important to him? Um, and what what. I wanted to know what weapons he already had um, and I couldn't really find anything out, but, but the, the fire lock was um, sort of the state of the art, I guess, for for his purposes and for um, military purposes. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about what the, the lock itself means and, and I'm not really, um, I, I will admit that I just read what it was in the Wikipedia, So, um, but it was a way of, of igniting the, the, you know, getting the bullet to fire. Um, so it's, you know, it, it was just something that he needed to have either for himself or for his, his son, who would be the only, or the, only near adult male, he was only 14, um, to be there on the farm. Um, if, um, if Ditson were called to arms, which he was, um, so that, that was, that's kind of basically what the, the purpose of the firelock was from, from Ditson's standpoint.
0: Ditson will be tarred and feathered when he's in Boston. Could you explain why?
1: Well, um, I kind of think of him as a little bit of an innocent, but he was doing what what a lot of um, of patriots were doing at the time, according to to sources at the time. And and I quote a couple in my article that that um, one of them said that um, he he would never see a countryman go into Boston with a gun. But he saw plenty of them coming out of Boston with guns, and this seems a little hard to believe. Initially, that um, soldiers would be selling um, guns to people who might later be be shooting those firelocks at them. But in fact, that is what what was happening, and the soldiers had their own purposes. Um, they had access to other weapons. Um, and they needed the money. Um, they were not particularly. It was a time at which there were a lot of tensions, so um, they were, in a, in some ways, looking to reinforce their own, um, you know, well-being in in Massachusetts, and less concerned about a few countrymen um, getting a hold of firelocks. At least that's that's how it seemed to me. But the military leadership was m- much more concerned about that, as as is can be imagined, and they would punish um, soldiers that were caught um, selling firelocks or or other um, weaponry or or resources um, to patriots. So. The story um, diverges depending on whose perspective um, is quoted. But from Ditson's perspective, he said in his um, oath, sworn oath, that he just went to buy the firelock and um, was set up, that he was, um, you know, that they lured him into buying one and then after the deal was made, they locked him up and, you know, the the next day tarred and feathered him. Uh, The British claimed that Ditson was trying to recruit the soldiers that he was talking to into um, abandoning the British cause and coming with him to to join in the Patriot cause. And um, the the man that he was negotiating the purchase of the firelock with, um, whose name was, um, well, Ditson called him McClinchey. um He swore an oath saying that Ditson had tried to get him drunk and then um, tried to persuade him to to abandon um, his post and and come over to uh, to the patriot side. Um, I guess as a, I don't know if it's, from what I've read, I, I think that it makes sense to me that there was an effort to make a an example out of Ditson, whether it be um, for his purchase of a firelock or for um, a claiming that, that they took that, the British took that farther and then claimed that he was also trying to recruit the guy that he was buying the firelock from. Um, And that allowed the British to make this big spectacle of of him by tarring and feathering him and parading him through Boston um, to the Liberty Tree. I, I, um, I think that that makes sense. For what, and I have to say that they were reasonably gentle on him. Um, they didn't make him take his pants off, for example, um, but they wanted to set an example. And there are quotes from British officers at the time that that say as much. That they hoped that this example of um, the uh, of Ditson um, and the punishment he received would deter other. Um, patriots, other countrymen, from from uh, trying to buy weapons or trying to recruit British soldiers. Um, so once they made the spectacle of him, the uh, the countrymen, the British c- citizens, and I'm sorry. Um, once they made the spectacle of him, a crowd gathered around him. Um, He's tarred and feathered on this wagon with his hands behind his back, with a placard around his his neck um, condemning the you know, the actions that they accused him of doing. A crowd of patriots gathered, and it, it started looking a little risky. Um, no one wanted another Boston massacre, so he was released and allowed to go. And that was after swearing an oath, he swore an oath and um, McClancy sw- swore an oath. And they, the, the um, Patriot leaders used the Ditson story to um, help invigorate Patriot sentiment against the British of course, the the um, important connection that made this a a popular story was the Yankee Doodle song, because the Yankee Doodle song was sung by the um, the British as they paraded him through the town, with a special verse written just for um, for Ditson's story about the. Um, coming to buy a firelock. And this hit the Patriots, of a particularly, I, I will say it was a discordant note in terms of how the Patriots view this whole incident. And since Ditson was doing what everybody else had done, uh, you know, in terms of, of seeking to arm themselves, this was the catalyst According to history, for making that song a a patriot song, basically co-opting the song that was was making fun of the British. I'm sorry, basically co-opting the song that was making fun of the um, patriots. The this, this song that um, the word "doodle" is another word for bumpkin. So the song that calls all the countrymen and all the Patriots bumpkins. um, They took, they decided to take pride in that. You know, if you want to call me a doodle, fine. I'll. you know, I'm a doodle. So what I, you know, I want my own country. Um, So Yankee Doodle became a Patriot anthem instead of a British anthem.
0: Let's talk about Ditson's military service. What was his career like?
1: yeah um and this was a big learning it, um thing for me because i am not a um, a- a historian of the american revolution i uh, i came at it as a an odd angle and of course every american um hopefully learned something about the revolution in in school but um i did not really realize the the length of service that a soldier might have like, um, Ditson had where he came back, um, and he enlisted in the Minutemen and he was involved in all the major battles, um, in, uh, April of, of 1775, um, Merriam's corner, um, the, um, he, Bunker Hill, he just, um, you know, just really, uh, folded right into the military environment and seemingly without any regret, um, and, and without any regret to the consequences of him to himself, which was, were really severe, um, after spending uh, about eight months, I guess, with the Minutemen, he was uh, recruited by um, Captain Joseph Pettengill uh, to join the massive Massachusetts line in the um, 26th Continental Regiment, and he was given the rank of sergeant, which I understand was pretty significant, um, given that he was not a military man by background, and and it probably is a testament to the quality of his service on the uh, in the Massachusetts men. men. Um, he went. He was in the Battle of Long Island, um, Battle of Harlem Heights, uh, when Washington um, had to cross the Hudson River uh, to escape the British at Peekskill. Uh, they left um, units there to to guard his flank as, as he was escaping, and and Ditson was one of those who was at Peekskill in 1777, um, and he caught smallpox so, along with a huge number of soldiers, um, and lost the sight of one eye as a um, as a result of that. Um, I had not realized. Either how significant smallpox was at uh, that time, and for the um, for both sides of of the the conflict, um, this also opened my eyes to Washington's efforts to um, have the army inoculated against smallpox. And inoculation had its own risks, uh, especially to um, young children, but um, it. I think it was the right thing to do for the, the soldiers. Um, at that point, when he was um, uh, in 1777, also, there was um, recognition on the part of the Continental Congress and of General Washington himself that they were having a, a tough time getting recruits. And they were having a growing number of, of casualties and injured, and um, they needed something, uh, and they emulated France and Britain um, in, in establishing units that allowed for the wounded to continue to work if they were able to stand post at, at um, you know a, a fortification or do recruiting. They were um, they Congress created um, a an invalid corps, uh, which is what they called it uh, for these people to continue to be able to be a part of um, military service and as early as sem- uh, september seventeen seventy seven Ditson was detailed to that invalid corps and ordered to return to his um, hometown of um billrica, to assist in recruitment, which is like I uh, must have been unbelievably satisfying to him to to be out of the main part of the battle for for that amount of time um not that he was in any way pushing to get out of out of it, but it allowed him to stay in the military and contribute while um taking um you know. Taking care of him as as someone who would, was seriously dis- disabled. Um, from that point on, his um, duty was uh, doing recruitment, mostly it was around the in the Boston area. Um, he was uh, also did some guard duty. Um, it's interesting to read the assignments that he uh, he went on. Um, which were documented in the um, in uh, revolutionary war records, certainly not all of them, but some of them um, and then in in um, February seventeen eighty he was discharged, and um, that was the end of his military service.
0: How did the war end for Ditson?
1: Well, um, he went back. It's a little hard, of course, because the records of uh, the military are far more um, complete than the records of, of civilian activity at that point. But some census records and other information, um, it seems that he moved to Ashby, Massachusetts. Um, along with, uh, at that point, he had seven children under the age of 18, and then their ninth child Uh, Nancy was born in 1787, and in 1782, his oldest son, Thomas, was ever to be found. Um, Thomas had joined the military at the age of, I think he was 15, as a um, five-player, and then went to sea. Um, His wife died in 1812. And by 1818, 18, uh, Dixon filed for a revolutionary pension stating that he was in indigent circumstances and is by reason of age unable to support himself. At that point, he said that his personal possessions amounted to about $3.12. And he got the pension, uh, began receiving $8 per month, which was um, roughly what a sergeant would have earned during that, um, that time period, uh, during the 1783 time period. And then in February 1819, he w- married a woman that was much younger than himself. Uh, her name was Prudence Douglas, and she was from New Hampshire. And then in 1828, um, after almost 10 years of marriage, he died probably in Mason, New Hampshire, where, where she was from. Um, but
0: it's grave sites now. Jane, how does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era
1: better? Um, I know from my own perspective, again, as somebody who is not a, a professional student or, or teacher of, of this period, it gave me a much more personal um, understanding of what it was like to be involved in, in the Revolution. And as a soldier... As a family man, as uh, someone whose ancestors um, were had been in this country for quite a while, um, it made me understand that the um, that the dedication, the the ideas that were behind the revolution, were things that were understandable to to every man. Now, there are some very sophisticated ideas behind the revolution as well. But, but the general principles of um, understanding that uh, when your ancestors come to a place fleeing persecution, um, you are going to take care not to allow that persecution to to resume in, in any form. Um, it also made me appreciate the family involvement, the the idea of of having a farm that was in the middle of the battlefield, of um, wanting to protect your children, of um, I think the excitement of being able to serve in the military in such a, a personal war. Um, this was a war on American soil um, and um, Americans were bound and determined to to protect their right to it. Um, it It also made me um, open my eyes a bit to the irony of of the british um, the the british the the patriots in this case in the Massachusetts case being um, largely. Of British descent. Yet the differences between the types of governments that they chose was more important to them than that British ancestry. And um, it—it's um, you know a choice was made, and that first choice was made when their Puritan ancestors came over to the U.S. But and of course, there were a lot. There, there were certainly plenty of loyalists among uh, the colonists as well. But there was a enough of them that retained that determination to forge their own country and their own way of life, and not be controlled by um, a foreign government. What what at, it wasn't technically a foreign government, but what they increasingly felt was a foreign government. How that triumphed, and um, um, it, it just made me much more attentive to what um, what happened in the revolution, and and has increased my own, um, you know, personal uh, feelings of pride in and, and those folks, and interest in researching them further.
0: Jane Green, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Brady.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin MacLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.